Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am your host for this episode, Adam Walker. Hello. And joining me on this cinematic expedition is my co-host, Pat Mitchell. Pat, you're recording on a... What? Oh, hello. Yes. We're recording on a Sunday today. Usually we've been recording on Saturdays. They change it up a little bit. It's a Sunday. We never recorded on a Sunday. We have before in the past. I'm just saying. Have we? Our, our, I, I thought so. Well, then it's not the first time, but it, it feels like the very first time. I don't know. Maybe we haven't. I don't remember. Who knows? Time is impossible real. to tell. We'll never fucking know. Time is a is a figment. It's a construct. True that. Okay. Um. So today. We are continuing in our uh, our trend as of late, where each of us are offering movies to the other that uh, we have not seen before. Uh, that was kind of confusing sounding, but basically, we've been doing this flip flop where you give me a movie I haven't seen, I give you a movie you haven't seen, unintentionally, so, unintentionally, because we never know what we're gonna, uh, what movie we're going to spring on each other until the end of the previous episode. That's the the little, the little magic and spontaneity of our arrangement here. It's so, a real tennis back and forth. Uh, it started with Ricky O, which I hadn't seen, and then we moved to Deep Blue Sea, which you haven't seen. And, and then uh, t- today, it is Deadbeat at Dawn, which you said you hadn't seen before. Which I haven't seen. So back in the ball's back in my court. Hell yeah. And this is one of those movies where I, when I offered it up, I was like, this could go either way with you. I'm like super stoked to talk about it, like beyond excited to talk about it. Giddy as a school, uh, non-binary As a person. school child. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So this is a, a movie by a director named Jim Van Beber, who is – is pretty legendary in underground movie circles has been for a while. And, um, so I guess like we're going to just kind of talk a little bit about our initial thoughts about this movie right off the top. And since I have a plethora of things to say about it, I want to hand it off to you at first. So go ahead and tell me kind of what you thought or you, you know, any thoughts you had about this movie prior to watching it. Yeah, um, I would say that nine times out of ten, this uh, this kind of movie does not appeal to me. Um, but I loved this. I really did. I liked it a lot. Oh, um, yeah. 
this idea of it felt like a grindhouse movie. It's very like exploitative and underground and submersive and all that, all that sort of good stuff. But the nine times out of 10 thing, most times these low budget, uh, (laughs) these low budget ideas can be a real fucking slog to get through. Uh, they're just, they can be, the story can just be kind of fucking confusing or unnecessarily convoluted. And the filmmaking is, is tough to fucking get through. And there's continuity errors that confuse a lot of shit. And this is just really well done underground shit. It's just like really like boots to the ground, underground DIY filmmaking that is impressive uh, at the same rate as being like offensive to fucking mainstream society, which is all a real good ball of fun. So overall, uh, having watched it for the first time and still kind of digesting my thoughts on it because I literally just watched it today. Um, I had a great fucking time and I was at no point was like, ever bored or or in a in a lull it it just it just moved and it was great nice well that brings me intense joy to hear as much as i do revel in the moments where we have movies that maybe we don't necessarily completely see eye to eye on and so you know we can like talk shit which doesn't happen a lot i feel like most most of the time you know even if it's a movie that you send to me that i'm like I don't know if I'll be into it. I come around to it and I have a good time talking about it. So, but you know, it is all the better. I feel like when, especially when it's a movie that one of us offers to the other that we hadn't seen before. And we maybe didn't have any expectations or low expectations. Like with you and miss 45, cause you, you hated Abel Ferreira. Uh, and then you come That's away true. from it being, being like, wow, this movie actually is pretty amazing. So that's great. Um, so I've discovered Van Beber years ago, and I actually saw this movie pretty late after the fact, but I knew about Jim because the band Necrophagia, uh, the death metal band that Phil Anselmo had a brief tenure in, in the late nineties, played guitar for them, but a band that had been around since the early eighties, seminal death metal band. Um, when they released their comeback album in the late nineties, they did a an accompanying uh, VHS video set of, of music videos with it. And it was directed by Jim Bambeber. And so that was the earliest I'd heard about him was when I discovered that and I read about him and, you know, he was just lauded as being this crazy, just gutsy outlaw, renegade underground director of fucked up movies. So that's how I knew about him. And then, you know, Fast forward some years and I finally watched Deadbeat at Dawn for whatever reason or another. It just kind of escaped my, you know, you know, my viewing time in between. I knew he had also uh, directed some skinny puppy videos. So, you know, he had his hands and things in the music world. So anyways, and then I watched it and I was just like blown away. I was like, this is amazing. You know, it's like. This is like this is if there ever is an example of a film that is completely a, a, a project that is blood, sweat and tears, all love, all guts being put into it with no expectation of any sort of return. I feel like this is a movie and 
that's what happened. Basically this movie, um, was released and basically kind of squandered in obscurity. It kind of like languished in obscurity for years before it finally kind of got its due and, and has since had, you know, a pretty devoted cult following. So it feels like a guy, this is my first, uh, JVB. Can we just call him JVB? Absolutely. I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. <laughs> Hopefully. This is, I don't this know. This is my first Van Beber experience, but it did, it feels aesthetically uh, like someone who was inspired by like early Carpenter and Craven and Romero. Uh, like I feel a, a lot of this is a strange comparison, but Dawn of the Dead vibes, especially in the beginning, like where they're raiding the apartment and shit, just when, when fingers are getting like lopped off and shit and like blood is just shooting off from the fucking knuckles and stuff and, uh, assault on precinct 13. Like there's just lots of, there's lots of those early, uh, last house on the left. Those, those three Mm -hmm. directors, I feel like he took inspiration from a lot of those early movies and kind of pushed it through an art like a underground art house lens it's, it's yeah but it's it's great for sure I, I yeah i know for a fact that those people that you mentioned were all influences and then some there's some others that you'll be tickled about that i would like to talk about when we actually get into the movie uh, that kind of infused the chutzpah of this movie and whatnot but anyways we'll sell we'll, we'll save that for when we get into it um so the movie synopsis is for those of you that don't know, um, it revolves around a gang leader named Goose, who is the gang gang lord of the Ravens, and he his gang is in a rivalry with another gang called the Spiders. And all of this takes place in Dayton, Ohio, which when we talk more about it, that's is fucking crazy. But anyways, uh, so there's this gang rivalry between the, the Spiders and the Ravens. And Goose has a girlfriend named Christy that basically she offers him an ultimatum. She's like, I don't want you living the gang life. I don't want to see you getting fucked up and bloodied. So it's a a me or the gang sort of scenario. So Goose decides, okay, you know, I'll quit the gang. And what happens is the spiders retaliate against him, kill his girlfriend. And then from there on, um, Goose engages in uh, a uh, 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 killing spree, basically, or a, 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 a malevolent sort of like path to get revenge. So that's what it is. It's basically it's a it's a revenge. It's a gangland revenge flick, is what this is. Oh, that's perfect summation. Yes. So, um, and then yeah, and then all. I mean. The, Hell breaks loose throughout the whole movie, but it just kind of escalates more and more throughout the movie, and it just gets like crazier and crazier and crazier until the uh, grand the grand finale of a scene, which is one of my favorite final acts in any movie of all time. So, um, box office gross. That's kind of like this. It's not even a thing, right? Here with this movie. <laughs> Didn't even appear on the radar. Um, as far as any budgetary sort of considerations or anything like this, this movie, uh, was essentially created on a $10,000 scholarship that Van Beber had gotten, uh, when he entered Wright university 
uh, to, huh. to make. Yeah. I was going to say, this has got to be the lowest budget movie that we've ever done. Yes. Up to this point, I would say so. Um, I don't but, see um, anything uh, beating a $10,000 budget either. Yeah. I mean, there's some other movies that I, I think we're, we might talk about uh, from my end that might beat that. But under 10,000. Yeah. At, at this point, Jesus this Christ. this is this is definitely the most budgetarily constricted movie I think we've we've uh, viewed so far. Uh, but yeah, Van Beber. He got into Wright State University uh, based off of a movie called uh, called Into the Black that he made in high school. Basically, Van Beber had been making movies since he was like 12. He got That's a super awesome. film and he was just like a total movie nut. And he's like from very young age, he's like, this is what I'm going to do. So he made a movie, got into Wright State University. And then based uh, off of the money that he got, he also just, uh, quote unquote, borrowed equipment from the university. Oh my God. <laughs> indefinitely because this movie took four years to make, uh, to make it. So yeah, uh, there was no money that was put into it and there was no reinvestment. There was, he didn't get any return on his investment at all. So, um, but critical reception as far as this goes, so a lot of this is kind of like, I would say, uh, more or less posthumous, if you want to say. There was no like real critical, critical, uh, even like consideration of this movie at the time. Like I said, years later, it finally got recognized. There was a few hand, handful of people that saw it early on, uh, like Joe Bob Briggs that talked it up. But by and large, it got it got uh, ignored. Um, but later on, you know, people kind of gave it a shine and like people like Sam Raimi even talked it up, put it on a pedestal said it was like the first punk action film. So oh, that's and, a good description. I like that description. Yeah. And, uh, so that was him. And there's a guy named Jason Buchanan. I read that said, uh, prime example of creativity and enthusiasm picking up where budget and other resources fall short, calling the film a pleasantly surprising mini masterpiece of, of gritty urban nightmares. Wow, I, I, I couldn't have uh, I couldn't have surmised it any better myself. My God, that's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the people that would uh, even bother to review this movie are probably people that like have a love for this kind of stuff to begin with. So they're not like a whole lot of negative reviews that I saw because most critics of any acclaim aren't going to fucking touch this. Not a lot of they, uptight assholes trying to seek this out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there was any, you know, <laughs> Roger Ebert or Leonard Mullen or any of these. It's just not coming into their purview. Exactly. So, you know, but it's considered to this day, like I said, a absolute classic masterpiece cult fucking just like this is like bedrock foundational like movies you need to watch if you're into like cult DIY type of stuff. So anyways, um, do you have anything to add to any of this uh, stuff off, uh, off the top before we no, get into it? No, not particularly. I will say uh, – the only thing I'll say is the, the thing I was thinking while I was watching it was low budget, high value. Like you're getting right. maybe the most bang for your buck. It's like going to – it's like going to a, a hockey game, like a local hockey game, and they have like a $10 deal where you get like two hot dogs, two beers, two popcorns, and fucking tickets to the game. And it's like, God damn, I just spent, I just 
spent my $10 the most wisely I could have ever spent my $10 just now. It's like so low budget, but such a great return for your, for your money. Like it, it's just great. It, despite the low budget, it's just high value entertainment. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh it's a, it's a budget value fill <laughs> in, more, much in, so. more, in more ways than one, you know? So that's a very apt metaphor. I like that. So that being said, we're going to move into the meat of the podcast, which is where we break this down to what we liked, what we didn't like, and what we have questions. So here we go into the good, the bad, and the questionable. We're going to talk about all the goods. Now, this movie, this is one of those movies where it's real hard for me to not just gush over everything I love about it. So, you know, um, I'll have to rein myself in quite a bit. <laughs> um, but <laughs> right off you the top. You always struggle with <laughs> these ones. These movies come along every now and then that you recommend that are like your Mount Rushmore yes Adam, adam's mount rushmore and you are so giddy that it's almost like <laughs> i can see the the glimmer in your eyes you're just you can't even you're foaming at the mouth in anticipation to talk about it yeah i get flummoxed i get you all do you get flummoxed because you're so fucking excited it's adorable right <laughs> i don't want to give it its due you know i want to i want to be able to you know i get shy i guess i get shy around it because i don't want to be embarrassed about talking about my friend's movies. <laughs> my friend Jim. Yeah, JVB, uh, if you're listening, big fans. We're, we're flummoxed. We're so such big fans. Um, but yeah, so right off the top, it's it already goes right into like showing like gnarly gore, even in the credits, because you see in the opening credits, uh, Goose is sewing up his wounds. <laughs> he's stitching up his own wounds right there in the credits. And it's like this weird, the credits, this is like a device that Van Bever I've seen used in other movies like the Manson family, but Van Bever likes to integrate these psychedelic kind of visuals mm, yeah. into the movie. So it starts off very weird and psychedelic with a lot of like bright reds and, you know, this kaleidoscopic sort of colors that are, you know, going over the credits and, and, and the, the scenery there. So, but yeah, so basically movie starts off already. It's got blood, it's got gore, it's got violence. So, you know, you know what you're you, in for from the job. You know what you're in for. Um, and there's assault and rape in the beginning. It's just like, it's definitely one of those movies. It's, it's not for the squeamish. It doesn't ease you in. So if if you can't handle it from the top, then you should probably just shut it off. It's so, subversive in its brutality and, and exploitative. That's where the exploitation kind of comes in. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, and then you get 
introduced pretty much right away to the the rival gangs. So the rival gangs they show up and they they ha- they're they're engaging basically in a turf war at the cemetery. And this is where you get to see right off the bat the fight scenes in this movie, um, which basically they're really happening. So yeah, yeah, it seems no one's pulling punches. Yeah, the stunt work in this movie—it's not really stunts. These guys are actually pretty much beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, a ten thousand dollar budget—you can't afford uh, stuntmen or doubles or choreo- uh, uh, fight choreographers or anything like that. Yeah, so I mean, there's some parts in this movie where. You know, the people involved, especially Van Beber, were actually hurt making it. Like I they, was thinking that the whole time. I was like, there's there's no way this movie was made without somebody getting like breaking a fucking arm or getting a black eye or like breaking a fucking hand or like something. <laughs> right. Um and so you have that. Um I legit also like when I first watched this, I wasn't sure about this, but now after I've watched it again, I actually genuinely love the gang's outfits. They're this weird kind of pastiche of all kinds of things that it's like at first I was like, they look kind of goofy, but now I'm like, man, that shit's actually kind of cool. Like the leader of the spiders, Danny, he wears like essentially a kid's Halloween mask that he kind of has modified in his own way, like he's cut part of it out and he does that. Like it's a recurring motif throughout the movie. You know, you see right up top, he's got it just kind of like duct taped to his face and then he rips it off before he's about to fight. And then he does it again later in the movie. So I actually really like the way, the way the gangs look. So I, I was also on the fence. Like I, you say, you saying like the first time you saw it, you were like not into it. But then after repeated viewings, you kind of, my initial thought was that it was fucking stupid. (laughs) Right. When they're wearing, he's like, got like a, yeah, like a children's Captain America mask, like duct taped to his face. Multiple people (laughs) like, like goose is wearing like a fucking, like, I don't know, like a, a Batman, like, eye mask or some shit like i don't even know how to describe yeah, it it's like there's that too. weird like children's props uh at, so at first it's jarring because they they couple like uh an attempted rape scene and a violent gangland scene with like these like children's props which is like a little bit jarring but yeah i i don't know where i stand on that it's not in my bad but my initial reaction was like what the fuck is going on yeah, I mean it's definitely amateurish, and I think the the mask that Goose is wearing is actually a, it's a Zorro mask. That's a Zorro mask. Like. That's I think that's what I was uh-huh. trying to to think of. Yeah, it's a Zorro mask. Yeah, and I don't know if you also noticed that some of the gang members also have the jock straps over their pants, which yes, was an I've homage. noticed that throughout, and I just did. I mean, outside of noticing it, I didn't think anything of it other than that's. I guess that's tight. <laughs> well, it's, that's that's an homage to Stanley Kubrick and and a Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the thing, you know. It's like you see a lot of these, you know, references to other movies clearly throughout the movie that Van Bever is paying homage to, and so like you know, his his gang is definitely they're they're calling back to the Droogs. 
because they're like a traditional street gang in the sense that even though there is a point where um, Goose does have a rifle, but by and large, these are like they're hand-to-hand co- combat knives, martial arts, uh, yeah. weapons sort of gangs. Like they don't shoot each other necessarily. They just they fight it out like men. <laughs> because they also it, it felt like they didn't want uh, police to be attention to be called through like being really loud, like through a gunfight because the police would be called right quickly. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's why they throw down their guns in the cemetery. Right. So there is a practical reason why they, they do that. So, but anyway, so that whole initial fight scene in the cemetery is great. The guy gets his uh, hand blown off at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cops, sh- the cops show up and then they run the gang off. So, that whole thing is great. And then you have some kind of like uh, expositional sort of character development stuff where you get into the, the relationship between uh, Goose and Christy. <laughs> but then that leads to the next thing that I really liked was when Goose goes back to the cemetery to train with his nunchucks mm-hmm. in the cemetery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, and this is where you see, Van Bever actually knows how to use those fucking nunchucks. That's he's what like I was actually, thinking. <laughs> like he does, he is masterfully is, is handling those nunchucks. It's and, not easy to like, it's not easy to just use nunchucks and like make it look like, you know what you're doing. You can't just like pick them up and start flailing them around. Like you have to have some level of confidence. Right. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I always like, I feel like at least if you're a certain age, if you grew up around kind of like Hesh type of people, you always had a friend that had nunchucks. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. but I had a I had a friend that had nunchucks and I would try to use them and inevitably what happens is you just fucking hit yourself in the face. It's true. Always. Yes. <laughs> and being a huge fan, my favorite uh, Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo, of course, right. I would try to use anything that would be like usually it'd be like you'd uh you tighten up a a, a jump rope and just you'd fucking knuckle oh. yourself in the face with like the end of, <laughs> yeah. a, of a fucking wooden jump rope handle that'd be fun yes. there but is yes. that technique. there is that technique as well and that's great that you mentioned michelangelo because that was my favorite as well michelangelo was my favorite because he, he was like fucking eat pizza and chill and yeah he was the, and he had the best man. weapon yeah exactly <laughs> So, yeah, so props to Van Beber because, you know, this dude did everything in this movie pretty much. You know, he acted, he directed, he wrote it. He, you know, he he did all of the stunts. He did all his own stunts. So this dude knew what he 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 had a fucking vision and he knew how to apply it. And one of his big influences was Bruce Lee. So, you know, he he kind of had some bona fides when it came to, to, to Kung Fu and stuff like that. So, mm. but, uh, anyways, um, but yeah, so <laughs> that whole scene happens and then he just yells at the skyline of Dayton. Um, basically he just says, fuck you motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't know who that's in reference to. If it's just the, if it's uh, you motherfuckers, that's what he just says. You motherfuckers to the skyline there from the from the uh, cemetery, and I don't know if that's in reference to the general populace of Dayton or if that's specifically like he's yelling at the 
the spiders. I took to the. I took it as yeah. He's like yelling out of frustration about the spider gang, but that's interesting. I don't know. And then he just immediately proceeds to. He sees a guy on a motorcycle, runs after the guy, fucking just bops him in the head with his nunchucks and steals the dude's ride. <laughs> Man, like, if he's got an idea in his head, he follows through with it, no question about it. So Yeah, you, you can go. tell he was just like, I want to have a scene where I just fucking wallop some dude over the head and take a bicycle <laughs> or take a motorcycle. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, so I love that. Um and then then it gets into, you know, there's the lead up to basically what is kind of the second act where he has his argument with his girlfriend and he decides he's going to quit the gang. And so he <laughs> that leads to what is kind of like this weird kind of you don't really know what's going on, like uh transitionary part of the film where, uh, excuse me, uh, he does a drug deal with um this shady kind of businessman type of character that just straight up is like i'm gonna sell this shit to kids why do you care because he's like why why do you want why do you want crack yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i love yeah i love that dude's just like he's like not even faking it. he's like yeah i'm gonna sell it to kids what the fuck fuck off you got your money so anyways and Goose so is like, he, all right, fine. <laughs> fine, funny. I got my money. Yeah, so he wants to make one last deal before he quits the game. So he can, you know, whatever, create a nest egg for him and his girl. So so that happens, and then it leads up to the, the spiders are like, nah, fuck this noise. Like, you know, we heard he quit the gang. Now, like, there's no... There's no like gentleman's agreement basically at this point where like he's fair game since he quit. So we don't need to like worry about any sort of protocol. And so Danny, the leader of the spiders, he he uh, tasks he, he he tasks Bone Crusher, which Bone Crusher is next to Goose, my second favorite character in this movie. The dude that plays Bone Crusher, Mark Pittman. He only pretty much starred in Van Bever movies, and the dude in everything I've seen just fucking knocks it out of the park. He's doing a lot <laughs> with a little. He does. Um, and so Bone Crusher is Danny's main right-hand man, essentially, and he's just this weird, pale, coked-out fucking insane maniac um, that doesn't, you know, he's, he's not right in the head at all. This dude is, like, just a bomb waiting to go off. So basically Danny tasks him to go kill goose. But instead of doing that, this dude and Stubbs, I think they Stubbs, decide to yeah. just, yeah, they just decide to go kill Dan. Well, I think what happens is they go to kill goose inadvertently stumbling upon, uh, just Chris, Chrissy, Christy at, at their place. And so since they're there and they're already, they've got it in their heads. They got the, the fucking adrenaline and the bloodlust. They just beat the ever living shit out of her, beat her to a pulp with of all fucking things, golf clubs. Right. Right. <laughs> that seems like a strange, uh, you know, that that's not like they went to their, their dad's closet and got a fucking golf clubs out. That's like a stole it from a fucking, uh, thrift store or some shit <laughs> yeah like they just had them on hand they had them in their quiver 
as part of their arsenal. <laughs> but they th- they feel like a nine iron and a wedge. What's good for this a, job? Let's just take a that, couple golf clubs, <laughs> right? So, anyways, so yeah, they come they come to Goose's place expecting to find him and take him out. They find Goose's girlfriend. They take her out instead because Bone Crusher is just like coked out of his mind. Because before that, there is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is this whole monologue that Bone Crusher has about how he hates people and, you know, how he loves killing people. It's just like this complete raving of a lunatic that was all fucking ad lib by Mark Pittman. And that's what I love about it. And basically, from what I heard was Van Bever just told him because he didn't have a script for that part. He's just like, I just want you to like envision what it would be like coked out of your mind and just hating everybody. And that's all he had. And Mark Pitt was like, all right, I got it. And just riffed. And it's the introduction to the character. Right. Exactly. So, which is even better because it's, you get, I mean, you see, you see him in, in the cemetery fight scene, of course, but yeah, you yeah. don't really, you don't know anything about him until this point. So dude gets like just fucking coked up, just, pumped to go kill people and that's and that's what he does they just bludgeon christy to a a literal pulp and so and that leads to uh goose discovering her and (laughs) which leads to my next favorite part of the movie uh again it just like escalates some more crazy shit where when he finds her instead of doing you know, what you would think he would do if he were you or I or like what would be considered a sensible individual. He doesn't have money for a funeral. She's a runaway, essentially. He doesn't want to go to the cops. So what does he do? He takes her to a trash compactor and dumps her in the trash compactor. And so that's that's his death march. That's his that's his funeral for his girlfriend is throwing her into a trash compactor. So. Which is in my questions, but yes, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> I think I have an answer, but I don't. I had some like head cannon as to why, but yeah, that was a questionable part for me. Yeah, so so that happens, and then at that point, that's where it's it's. If you were to establish in the story when Goose finally metamorphoses to the deadbeat at dawn. That's what happens. He has reached what you would think is his lowest point, but it only gets lower from that point on. True. <laughs> so he he's basically got a ways he go, to go. He's got a ways to go. So this is like midway through the movie again. This is like, you know, act two going into the third act, essentially. And uh, he goes on this bender that, you know, he just like snorts and drinks everything he can fucking get into him. And He's essentially hell bent on killing himself, but <laughs> and there's some scenes in between here that are also worth talking about. But essentially, what happens is um, the gangs decide to have a truce, and so the new gang leader Keith of the Ravens decides to bring uh, Goose back into the fold and let him in on this next job. What they got to do, which is they want to heist an armored truck, and for whatever reason. And this could we could talk about this in the questionable. Goose decides, yeah, okay, whatever. Even though these fuckers just killed my my girlfriend, I'll enter into a truce to do this one last job, whatever. So, and that leads to what is like to me like the just like the recurring 
instances of crazy fucking stunt scenes pulled off by Van Bever. Uh, so namely, there's the one where he he scales the side of a parking garage on his own. <laughs> he jumps into a reservoir from a street. Just like yeah, 50- and it's a it's a standing barefoot jump, or you know, a standing jump over a barricade too. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and he just like had basically one chance to land this because if he would have been off just by a little bit, he would have hit the embankment essentially and died. There's no, uh, it's just completely flat footed. There's no like, uh, there's no run up to it. He's just completely flat footed jump, jumping. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. Again, like the fact that like this dude just decided all this stuff and just went for it. But anyway, so then all that happens leads up to one, uh, leads up to, well, I, I kind of glossed over the fact that like they do the heist, they pull it off. And then, um, the gang meeting where they decide to kind of, divvy up the spoils goes wrong goes bad because the spiders of course you can't trust these guys they turn on who the raven who would have known who would have thought <laughs> spiders turn on the raven <laughs> leads to fucking mayhem uh and then goose ends up killing a bunch of people getting out of there and then he's pursued by the surviving spiders which leads to the finale which is essentially this cascade of uh, him fighting off all of the remaining spiders to the last showdown with him and the leader, Danny, which leads to the craziest fucking like car car involved uh, maiming fight scene I've probably ever seen in my movie in, in, in any movie in my whole life. So anyways, so I'm kind of like you know, throwing a lot of information out, like, cause like I said, I like most of this movie. So (laughs) that's all I can really say at this point without like taking up too much time. I want you to tell me, you know, more about what, what you really like about this movie and then we'll move on. Let me get this straight. Giddy Adam, your favorite, your, (laughs) your good is every single scene in the movie. (laughs) Just about. You get so fucking giddy about these about these Mount Rushmore movies of yours. Um, I know. You just can't you can't even contain yourself. I can't control um, myself. <laughs> I was like, that's why I, that's why I just need to stop and just let you. No, I pre- your- no, I appreciate it. I was having such a good time with your with your fucking uh, MST three thousand synopsis <laughs> of the movie. I, I was like in a trance um okay so (laughs) i mean you touched upon the the singular goods that i kind of plucked from the movie first of all there's they got some great uh some great gang names bone crusher stubs joe touche bastard (laughs) like these are some good fucking uh gang names um like you said uh Goose is Van Beber is asked to perform some. He's not asked. He's asking this of himself, I suppose. But he right. performs some gnarly ass stunts in this. The 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 jumping up on the fire, the rickety fire escape to like get into his dad's <laughs> apartment. Like that thing was about to fucking fall off of the side of the building. Like it was insane that he was able to scale that. I it, it's nuts. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, rappelling down the wall for the heist, uh, running from the car. The car's like like chasing him down. Like that shit's crazy. He's like scaling concrete structures and like getting <laughs> dragged by a car at one point with one arm inside the vehicle. Like he is. He is putting himself if this if he wasn't the director, I'd be like, God damn, somebody was asked to kill themselves for the sake of film. But he he did it on his own accord, which is impressive. Um, It's the most it's my it's my most my highest good is what he put himself through to make this movie. And it speaks more to this idea of like guerrilla filmmaking, which is very much so like what this is. Like in the in the vein, same vein of like in like experimental directors like Kenneth Anger or whatever. Like you just yeah. fucking like make the shit happen with friends and you know, quote unquote, unauthorized use of school materials. Possibly like <laughs> you just you just make it work with what you got, and that's why this kind of shit takes like four years to make because right. you're on a budget, you're shooting with buddies whenever they're fucking available and you're just hanging outside of out, out of cars and probably fucking hurting yourself and can't shoot for a couple weeks or months. Like. <laughs> exactly. But that's the, the, the most, the good that I took away from this, the, the, the highest good, if that makes any fucking sense, is just Van Bever's, dedication to this project and dedication to the filmmaking of this it it's it's massively impressive um it's crazy i i i was i walked away with a a real a real real appreciation for the way he tackled this project and and can't wait to to see more of his shit yeah so a famous quote of jim van bevers is uh Pain is temporary. Film is forever. That was oh his mantra. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't. Like, that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Um, because you kind of touched upon it, and I realized that I also failed to mention another one of my goods is the entire sequence where Goose is at his dad's apartment. Yes. Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes. The dad, I don't know who, who the dad is, but the dad is doing some work in that fucking scene. He's like, uh, I don't even know. I I guess given the timing of this movie, I would say a Vietnam vet, like he's just shell shocked and riddled with alcoholism. And and yeah, he's, he's great. And like, so obviously it's the first time seeing this, but when he, I thought he just, I thought he uh, snuck into a, a stranger's apartment and started drinking beer out of the fridge, which I thought was the coolest fucking thing. I was like, this is so tight. Like he just that went to someone's apartment awesome. and started cracking beers. And yeah. you know, I like, I was like, maybe it's his dad, but cause the way they're talking to each other, he's like, I'm not going to let some punk kid just come in here and drink my beer. And I was like, Oh, he's a stranger. He's a stranger. Yeah. He's like, come on, dad, we can share. And I was like, oh, wait, fuck. OK, that's tight. Yeah, but <laughs> but but I love it because like it's like it, it is kind of leaving you intentionally kind of confused because his relationship with his father is obviously horribly dysfunctional. So he basically is a stranger. They He's are stranger. strangers. Yes. You yeah. know? <laughs> they have yeah. no relationship other than this weird, like kind of like very tenuous, you know, sort of familial just you know a sinew of a relationship right (laughs) you know just some sort of vague semblance of some sort of like father-son relationship 
Um, but yeah. So anyways, there, there's that also. Um, yeah, I could go on and on about like how all the shit I love in this. Uh, but I wanted to say one more thing before maybe we move on that. I just love the fact that you get a genuine feeling that pervades this movie of Rust Belt Midwest yeah. depression, per, you know, pervading the city. But this is just a decayed, bombed out, crime riddled fucking city where industry had been shipped off somewhere and the economy basically collapsed. And that's why you have these gangs running amok through the city that are intent on taking it over. They think that they're going to run the city like the mafia. So Yeah, that's where I that's where I pull this idea of like uh, George Romero being an influence like he would f- Romero filmed in pit in the Pittsburgh area and in rural Pennsylvania and yeah. all that sort of shit. And it has this juxtaposition of bombed out uh, concrete jungle retail hell kind of shit. Like obviously mm. specifically Dawn of the Dead. But um, yeah, it's it feels it's not it, it it's very much so not east coast it's not new york it's not west coast it's not california it is a midwest movie which makes me love it even more very much so just in the heart of the midwest well and you can tell and, yeah and so it's funny that you mentioned it, going back to talking about sam raimi um van bever made this movie essentially as kind of like his own little competition with raimi because he saw evil dead him and basically his buddies that he made this film with and he came away from it and said, if those motherfuckers in Michigan can make a movie, then we can. So that's the thing. It's, it, it has this, it's, it is wholly Midwest in the same way that the evil dead and Sam Raimi's early productions are. Yes. Yeah. So, and you can tell the influence is there. Um, so yeah. So anyways, good, good, good. Let's talk about the bad. Um, I, you know, I want you to talk about your bad because I don't really have a lot. You know, it's it's basically a very small list. But tell me about your bads. Um, Keith Keith did a terrible job in securing an adequate getaway. Uh, you need two vehicles, my man. If there's like ten people <laughs> piling onto the, the fucking roof, the roof and uh, the back and sides of a fucking vehicle, that is not. You didn't secure the getaway. <laughs> properly because yeah. uh that can definitely be seen going down the street with 20 fucking people hanging off a car um so i thought keith dropped the ball in the in the uh <laughs> heist scene and also i guess in my bad would be uh i love i love a good heist and the heist seemed rushed and i guess it's just yes. not part of the it, it's not important to the movie like the actual heist and the and the mechanics that go behind pulling off a heist, which is what I love about heist movies. That, that wasn't his intention. It was the, it was a means to an end, but right. I guess I love heist stuff. So I wish I could have seen more heist stuff in it, but I mean, that's, you know, nitpicky bad, but, um, well, I was going to say, too, yeah, I, I want to say, I want to say real quick. Yeah. The, the whole heist sort of scenario itself is very, it's, it's, it's in the questionable bad. And if anything, it just shows it, you know, this, this is like a small potato gang, you know, these are small potato gangs that are, you know, they're, they're ragtag. So I don't feel like there is a whole lot of, from their part, going to be a lot of 
sophisticated chess play and how they're going to pull off shit. They're just, they're basically like, you know, they're, they're smash and grab type of dude. So yeah. Which is another questionable or strange decision is they pulled off a federal crime, whereas they could have just done like uh, rob, like a real, real shithole bank by wearing their, their, their like Halloween children's costumes. I mean, that would have been perfect. They could have pulled like a point blank and done like an actual, I don't know. I guess that's still a federal crime. <laughs> I guess either yes. way. That's, <laughs> never mind. But but, yeah. but like robbing a Brinks truck that is in the middle of uh, of you know receiving money. I don't know. That's, yes. That seems like high end heist for low ball dudes. <laughs> right. I'm with you on that. Anyways, but proceed. Um. There's lots of. <laughs> There's lots of real, uh, let me choose my words here. There's lots of real choice background characters here that are, that have been asked to do, uh, acting with absolutely no abilities. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it adds a good kitschiness to it. That's like, just like endearing. It's not necessarily bad, but the, the diner patron who tells oh, the, the waitress, the you heathen bitch, like go make God breakfast or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't understand the scene. I don't know what its connection is to anything really. Uh, and that dude is n- the worst actor of the bunch. And we have a, like a lot to choose from, but he's oh, yeah. like not even trying. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. There's there's definitely, yes, some uh, secondary and tertiary character acting that is really off the mark. There's that dude, but I actually love that scene because it's so just unhinged and weird. Uh, but yeah, that dude, there is the whole scene where Goose robs the soda. and, and That's rob- what I was actually thinking of in comparison. Yeah. 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 Where they where he attempts to rob that uh, lube station and there's the guy that's just hanging out outside like he's the lube attendant, but he's not inside behind a register. He's just like sitting there creepily staring at Goose as he takes his soda. And then there's the the son and the grandmother that pull up. And yeah, that whole lot is real, real clunky and real goofy. But it's again with those sort of scenes that just to me adds to the overall just like insanity of this picture is the fact that there's, there are these like little, you know, minor characters that just can't act for shit. I found the, I found the robbery to be very endearing though. Like I like, <laughs> like grandma, get my, get, she's like, get my gun. Like, look, there's a robbery. Like the, it was very cutesy. I don't know. Whereas that, the diner was just confusing. That guy, the guy, uh, the, the grandson reminds me of Kenneth Parcell or whatever from 30 Rock. <laughs> he reminds oh, me of that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <Holy> moly. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, what, else, what, what else do you got? I only have one more bad, which is Christy's uh, little sister leaves her car at a murder scene. I don't know. That was bad. <laughs> like, like, we talk about characters with uh, – <laughs> your bad plans or whatever, but right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, if someone gave you a hundred thousand dollars to run away with of stolen money, you don't, you're starting off on a bad trail by leaving your vehicle at a murder scene. Yeah. yeah. So she, she's going to get caught. That's, uh, that sucks for her for being stupid. Bad idea. Yeah. Bad, bad idea. idea. There. That's right. Bad idea. Um, so as far as my bads go, 
once again, we have a prime instance here of bad, dumb cops. <laughs> There's some bad, oh, dumb yeah. cops on that. Yeah, real, real bad. Right off the top with the cop that, you know, intercepts the rape in progress and believes Danny that, you know, when he says, oh, I'm just, you know, getting it on with my wife, basically. And where this, you know, Chrissy's clearly terrified, doesn't do anything to apprehend the guy. It's just like, hey, you know, just move it along there, Buster yeah, or whatever. Yeah, very um, much so Dahmer cops going on here. Yeah, Dahmer, total Dahmer cops. Uh, from a technical perspective, the sound production in this is real rough. There's definitely some spots where the sound production is super just spotty. And there's basically like there's no semblance of any sort of boom mics or anything going on to pick up the dialogue. So you get a lot of that tin canny kind of distant dialogue that's hard to understand that and you know, recorded shit that doesn't match like what they're what the characters say yeah i've noticed that but yeah 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 so there's that as well um also there is that cross necklace that christy keeps trying to pawn onto goose as as a charm like a protective talisman and it's just like the dumbest piece of shit little piece of jewelry and i just hate it so much it just drives me crazy whenever i see it yeah her, yeah the fuck it. they couldn't huh. find it like it's like a dollar general like uh like piece i i don't it, it's, a, it's something a little kid would make in a in a you know as a craft yeah it's not a talisman come on now it's, it's so shitty uh let's see what else i think that's all i got for the bad so the rest of whatever bad I had, I just is questionable. So sure. Sure. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead then? Well, I mean, we talked about it. Uh, well, we we mentioned it. But yeah, the idea of Goose finding Christie's body and then putting her in the trash compactor. Yeah. At first, I was was like, like very confused. But then I thought, how would you? As a as a gang member who is probably involved with a lot of shit that, and you don't want to involve police with anything, there's no way of getting rid of that body that wouldn't uh, that, that that wouldn't alert authorities. So maybe he was just think like that was the best way of of disposing of her body without uh, drawing attention to himself. I don't know. Yeah, and that's because I also had it in my questionable as well. But that's the best thing I can think of is you know she's a runaway. So, you know, he's not going to call the hospital. He's not going to call the police. Obviously, he's not going to call her parents or whatever. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So there you go. Just throw her in the trash. That's the that's the jarring part. He goes from severe grief to trash compactor so quickly that you're like, (laughs) you could have found like a, I don't know, like a ditch or a ravine or Something, something else. I can, but the trash compactor is like, okay, you're never gonna find her fucking body. So I guess that solves that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the things I had was, yo, what is just in general? What is up with Chrissy and Goose's crib, man? Like it's in this warehouse, I guess. It's just basically it's a it's an apartment that's built in a warehouse, and yeah, they live at the Murphy Building. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it totally is that yeah there's a little there's a little indianapolis reference for you um but you go into the apartment and of course they're just sleeping on a fucking mattress on the ground a dirty mattress but also there's multiple tvs in the uh, living room that don't work 
they're just static, you know? I imagine just pawn shop items. Like shit to pawn for drugs or money, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, sure. but you're right. But then on top of that, uh, it doesn't even have a proper entrance way. When Goose leaves, he's like, okay, I'm going to lock the door. And it locks from the outside. It literally so means I'm going to put a padlock on the fucking door. If, there was yeah. ever a mur- if she knocked over a candle and started a fire, uh, she would have been fucked. She'd be totally fucked. Unless there was yeah. a fire escape. I don't know. Right. So really, that's weird. There's no immediate access point for her to, to leave if she wanted to without. Very, it. very questionable. But on top of that, though, when uh, Bone Crusher and Stubbs come to their place, he yells into the apartment, clearly with the lock on the outside, saying, hey, hey, you in there, open up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> like anybody else can open that door. <laughs> it's like, homie, you know, the only way you're going, you're getting in this place is if you bust that lock, which they take forever. They just like very awkwardly, like kind of smash at the padlock for a long time. And finally it comes loose. That's a good questionable though. How long would it take to, to take a padlock off with a nine iron? Probably a while. <laughs> and it did. It took them a while. So he's got like a, yeah, he's got like a wood. He's got like a, yeah, it's going to take a while. Um, another questionable I had was uh, in relation to a, a goose's fashion choices, but Goose is one of those, and I've noticed this with like, okay, there's been in my past a lot of trashy, manly men type dudes. And this seems to be a thing that they do, and I don't understand why, is jeans with no underwear. Just free <laughs> ball access. Free right, but like, have you ever worn jeans without underwear? Have you ever done no, it this? So, it sounds terribly uncomfortable. It's awful. It's awful. Like, because there's all kinds of pinch hazards that you're encountering. Oh, I'd be terrified to zip, unzip. Just like a really bad idea. I just never understood that. I I think once in a while I tried it just to be like, I don't know. Am I missing something here? Is there like more comfort to this? It's a very Kramer-esque sort of move where, where he, you know, he implores the people that aren't convinced that, this is the way you got to live. You haven't been living until you went free balling. You got a free but, ball uh, there, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't understand that. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Christy, you know, I'm not trying to give shade on folks like this because I've definitely ran with some ne'er do wells and skullbuggers <laughs> folks in my life. But Christy actually is like, not as trashy as I would expect to be to uh, be in the girl of a gang lord. No, she does not. She seems like a uh, yeah, a suburban girl that ran away, which she is basically. That's what they say. I but guess it like, makes it, sense. Yeah, but it, it's funny to me that she, for all intents and purposes, is a pretty you know a pretty clean cut normal lady, and she's just like kicking it with this hardened fucking gang lord, murderous gang lord. So I was. She strikes about me that. as the uh, as the girlfriend in Return of the Living Dead. That is that's like yes. the only prim and proper one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like why yeah. is she there? Like right, so you strange. just gotta have like the token preppy in your the fucking token pump. preppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which a lot of 80s films i feel like that's that is definitely a device it's in a lot of like repo man like all these like weird weird like punk uh under underground movies i'll i'll have like the the token preppy which makes sense because it it goes to the whole you know the idea of the the good girl wanting the bag the bad yeah that's true that's true i guess like that that could be the reason for it but whatever um Let's see. What else? Uh, questions, question, question. Oh, so when Goose is is contemplating suicide and he's having like his crazy hallucinations when he's just like slumped in the alley there and he imagines himself shooting himself in the face. Why would you choose this tiny fucking pea shooter of a gun to take yourself out? Because my man. That's like a real small caliber. And if that goes into your brain, you ain't dying right away. It's going to take a minute. <laughs> Not knowing uh, a lot about firearms, I I didn't even – I questioned what it was. I didn't know what it was. I, it, I didn't like, know guns were that tiny. Yeah, it's just the tiniest little like revolver you can real possibly cute, Real cute revolver. <laughs> it's like a little like – it's like a little like purse gun that, you know, that uh, uh, a high society – woman like you know of your would keep you know just as protection yeah yeah and, just in case hooligans <laughs> were to assault yeah yeah so um those are my main my main questions do you have anything that you would like to add to the question pile i could have used <laughs> i guess my my question is uh where what inner city dojo is goose going to and how could he afford it? And I, but I guess my real question is, I could have used any semblance of explanation as to how he became like a kung fu master of sorts. The, my dude just straight learned from watching Bruce Lee. I love the idea of him just watching movies and him because he does a very impressive like reverse crescent kick to knock the cleaver out of his dad's hand. Like I was like, that's pretty fucking tight. I have seen crescent yeah. kicks. Just uh, like disarm people before, but he's doing some cool. He's doing some cool shit, like leg yeah. sweeps and crescent kicks and shit. Very Billy got, Jack e. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I want to talk about that later, actually. But yeah, oh, my good, man's good. Wow, my man's got moves. He knows. He knows his way around some fighting. So that's he does sick. a really good job. the uh, The only other question I had was, how much did they pay the girl just to t- shake her tits at the heist after party? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, OK, so, uh, yeah, that was also in my questionable because that's all funny and weird and awkward. Uh, but I guess when we get into the wiki wormhole, we can talk a little bit about that. OK, <laughs> good. Good. I was wondering. Okay. So there you go. There is us uh, digging into the, the main meat of this. Uh, we're going to move on to our awards and categories and a section of the podcast. And off top, we're going to talk about quotes. to the rush you can get when you're killing somebody, man. You know what I mean? When you're looking in their eyes and you're seeing all that life just go right out of them, it's power. I hate people, man. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about nothing. Nah. All my life, people have fucked with me. Don't you fuck with me, man. I just fucking hate people. I hate people. And I don't care. I just don't fucking care. 
I don't care. And well, <laughs> what's that? I was going to say there are some doozies. There are some doozies for sure. Uh, right off the top for me, there's again, going back to the whole, that diatribe from bone crusher. And it's like, it's, it's a long one, but like essentially what he says is, man, there ain't nothing compared to the rush when you're killing someone. Know what I mean? And then he just kind of goes on like with this thread and just says, I hate people, man. I don't give a shit about nothing. I just don't fucking care. And, you know, that's essentially the gist of it. But I love that whole part. Um, bone crushers. That's a that's a good bone crusher quote. <laughs> what, what, what about you? That was my main one. I I don't know why I liked it so much. Probably because it has a, a strange, uh, just like a weird vibe to it. But when she, when Christy's like, Goose, tell me we'll be together forever. And he's like, Christy, we're going to be together forever, ever, 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 ever. It's like <laughs> psychedelic fucking quote, but like so ham-fisted in its, uh, <laughs> in like, you know, knowing that she's going to die. It's like, oh, she's going to die. <laughs> I get it. Right. And maybe, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Which leads me back to, I, we didn't mention it in the questionable, but the whole scene real quick I want to talk about, the whole scene where they're they're frolicking in the forest, that was also <laughs> kind of a questionable to me, you know. It's uh, akin to the Riccio one where they go on the weird yes. like drone uh, helicopter picnic. Exactly. Where it's just like, yeah, it's this, this absolutely harrowing nihilistic movie has to have that little bit of levity to it where there's like, there's a glimpse of hope. Like, you know, all oh, these kids are going to make it. And then, nope, it ain't going to happen. So let's go to uh, Fort Ben, baby, and walk around. <laughs> let's fuck. Let's fuck in the woods. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, I had another quote. Yeah. Uh, where Goose just says, fuck your noise. Yeah. Fuck your noise is, is uh, I forgot about that. One. That was my favorite. Cause it's just so random and, and non-specific. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Any others? No. Okay. So best scene. What's your best scene? What, what, what would you say is the best scene in this movie? I think, and this is where the carpenter influence I feel like comes in that scene. Um, the scene at the at the end uh, where Goose and Danny are kind of having their their final kind of throwdown is very akin to they live. Like, I yeah. feel like it's a it's a, just a beat down that like kind of drags on like longer than you would want. And it genuinely while I was watching it made me go like mm? I was like, holy shit, there's like <laughs> throat ripping and like it's it's gnarly. It's yeah. really fucking gnarly. The part where Danny bites off Goose's fingers looks real. It looks like he's genuinely biting his fucking fingers off. And so this is a question that I had. I didn't because I couldn't tell when he when he rips his throat out. I feel like he reached into his throat and grabbed his own fucking fingers and threw them to the ground. But maybe it was just throat viscera. But like I was like, did he grab his fingers out of his throat? That's so tight if he did. That would be sick. I think he's just grabbing out his uh, larynx. Yeah, usually if you bite larynx fingers off, larynx. you're not swallowing them. Right. So either way, it's still fucking rad. That um, seems my the, my best, though. Yeah, I would say also like just that whole scene. And I don't know in terms of time timeline wise how close this movie is to They Live. Because They Live was like 87, 88, right? So what, what year is this? This is 88. But 
it was 88, but it was started in 84. So that's the thing. It was a four year movie. So this, so they live as 88, which is interesting. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that necessarily fan Bever was referencing that. No, that no, it, I, probably I, not at all actually, but, but yeah, it it's is, very similar. It, I always got the same kind of vibe too, that there was just some sort of, you know, coincidence in the universe <laughs> with that where, they're very similar in vibe. Um, Both released the same year. Shot yeah. uh, simultaneously. Obviously, John Carpenter did take four years to shoot it. But yeah, that's weird. Yeah. But yeah, so that whole scene is probably my best best. But uh, aside from that, it's the the monologue that that Bone Crusher has. Is, ah, those yeah, are probably love that. my two my two top scenes. But the worst scene, I think we're going to agree on this because we kind of talked about it already. But what's the worst scene for you? The, uh, well, the diner scene, probably Yeah, the, the diner is definitely the dumbest scene and just the most like non sequitur of the movie. It's like, why did you have that here? It's very <laughs> it made me wonder, like it it was placed in with the intention that made me feel like he was someone of like that was a famous cameo. Like, that's what made me feel like it's so random that I was like, oh, they got like some director that I've never heard of to just cameo in this movie. But I've. I don't know. Who but the there's nothing of that sort. There's nothing oh, of that yeah. sort. So that makes whatsoever. it even weirder. Yeah. No, that's the worst scene. <laughs> Everybody in this movie are all within Van Beber's circle. He didn't yeah, that, somehow that's... source out like some killer cameo. <laughs> no, no. That's what that's what makes it seem like because it's so like, why is this here? I know it doesn't make any sense. OK, so next up. What is the award for the uh, what what award are we going to give for the Dahmer? I hardly knew her award, which is uh, for the actor with the most killer performance. Where is this going to go to? What what do you got to say? I mean, I'm not sure if you went uh, if you strayed away from it, but it's Van Beber. I mean, the, his willingness to put his body on the line for this movie is it, on multiple levels is uh impressive like i've already stated and it's my most killer performance because he's just doing it all yeah i mean the obvious one is van beber if i was gonna go for you know a more <laughs> obvious one a one from left field it's charlie Getz who plays van beber's dad plays goose's dad that's charlie i would, not, I would not be mad at that at all because <laughs> that guy <laughs> has got some vibes yeah yeah because he's he's going for it he it's really, one of those, really it's is. one of those things where it's like this is like you know kind of reminds me of the safety brothers kind of method where they mm. will legit just pick new york kind of characters that aren't actors at all just people from the neighborhood that they know and put them in their movie because they know it's gonna work that dude gives me that vibes for sure that's very that's very appropriate yes which I'll talk about it maybe in the wormhole more. That's kind of what that was with that situation. But anyways, uh, so the next category is the Michael Rooker Award for the most evil fucker in the movie. Uh, for me, it's Mark Pittman playing uh, Bone Crusher. Uh, I just, again, I just love what that dude does in this movie. That's that's a good choice. I, I went with Danny. I mean, you could pick a, a number of spider characters, but yeah, Dan, I went with Danny. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's either or, I feel like, between it those really two. It really is between the two of them, yeah. Um, so the next category is the recasting couch, where we reimagine other actors and actresses that would play parts in, the, in these movies. 
I actually had a tough time with this because I just I just love how everybody works in this movie. But maybe you have something that I wouldn't think of. So I have one and it's it's <laughs> I tried to go. I tried to build from there and couldn't build at all. I had a real tough time similar to you. But I thought it'd be really interesting if a young ass Sean Penn played Goose. Because, <laughs> yeah. Very early on, he was given Van Beber was giving me kind of Spicoli vibes. Uh, and I thought if they were to if you could recast this with more prominent actors around that time, I think I think uh, Fast Times was like 82 or something like early 80s. Right. Uh, so this would be well past the Spicoli years, but he still would be young as Sean Penn. Um, and then I couldn't even build from there. I couldn't, I really didn't have anybody for Danny or Christy. I, I just couldn't think of anybody at all that, to, that, that could round it out. Yeah. I like that choice actually. And I don't know. It's just really tough just because I don't know. This is, this is just such an outsider movie played by, you know, people that aren't in any way, shape or form connected to Hollywood that I just, yeah, I wasn't inspired to think of any replacements whatsoever. So it's really tough with these kinds of movies because well, you, if you're going to recast it, you're going to really take all all of the the chutzpah out of it that yes. makes it what it is. So like, it's hard That's, to recast it with Sean Penn and like, like maybe I could have like Patrick Swayze play Danny or some shit. Like I don't know, but like, <laughs> what, what the fuck does that look like? Uh, you know that that's that's it's no longer the same movie and doesn't have doesn't resonate the same way as as it as it would or like you know like well, I'm trying to think of evil fucking notoriously evil uh, character actors like Powers Booth or some shit like I don't know <laughs> I right just don't and know. that that really is it um, that's kind of the whole thing I thought and like I I likened it in my head if I if I did do that sort of scenario it was. <laughs> He would have had the same results that, that happens when there are movies that get remade like this cult movies on a much bigger budget in the Hollywood system. And it never works. It loses its heart. It loses its heart. So I didn't even want to even manifest that possibility in my mind that some dickhead fucking young director that you know has one thing under his belt gets plucked from hollywood to be like hey why don't you you know remake this movie yeah Yeah. no i don't want it to happen i don't want even i don't want i don't want to even make it appear like stay puff marshmallow man in the fucking world so (laughs) you know don't even think about it don't even think about leave this fucking movie alone okay so there you go and Next up, we got the wiki wormhole where we talk about fun little tidbits about this movie. And to top it off, we're going to we're going to lead off with the the body count. And from the best of my knowledge, there's twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay, I struggled mightily, especially once the gang war shit at the end started happening. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Right after yeah. the heist, when he starts just when spiders and ravens are going down like fucking flies, I was like, I can't keep track of this shit. Yeah. So to the best of my knowledge, it's twenty nine because so it's one forever. Like Christy dies and then no one else is really dies. And then it's just like racks up real quickly at the end. Yeah. It's just a lot of maiming up to that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So as far as other little uh, juicy tidbits behind the making of this movie, I kind of already talked about some of it, but. 
you know, this was made on a $10,000 scholarship that was awarded to Van Beber uh, when he entered the, the, the Wright University uh, film program. He incidentally dropped out while making this. He didn't like the program. So, I mean, and that's a common characteristic with folks like this that are just very singular in their vision. They can't be bridled and what, you know, by the academic system. So like, fuck this. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what he did. He dropped out to finish his movie. Um, so <laughs> during the scenes where, well, particularly the scene in the cemetery where the cops come to kick the gangs out, that was legit. That was actually the cops coming and running off the entire crew. That no wasn't shit. Wow. Yeah, so, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, this is like the supreme guerrilla filmmaking movie of all time because obviously they had no permits whatsoever throughout the making of this movie. So there's so many instances where they just like drop in, do their fucking thing, and then they gotta go. So there's that. Uh, the scene where they throw the flaming mattress into the middle of the street, also real, that caused a legit traffic jam that is so tight oh my god <laughs> no, none of that was staged they that's just threw like it in chaos and ran. for chaos's sake that's yeah. so dope there's that the scene where they they're running through the marching band also completely staged uh, basically that day they decided to have it was a march uh a march against drugs or something like that it was like a dare sort of thing i was wondering the, they had to have gotten that footage somehow that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they just decided, hey, this is happening downtown. Let's let's uh, let's run through it and get some shots. And that's what they did. They ran through that marching band and the marching band didn't stop during the whole time. They just kept going, which is funny. They that's just like in uh, uh, what, what in Maniac Cop when they film like the St. Patrick's Day Parade or whatever. The fuck? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. So there was that. Um, yeah, just a lot of stuff where they just had to drop in. Oh, also, so the whole scene during uh, the Brinks truck robbery. Also, they had no permission whatsoever to use any of those buildings. They had two hours to rent a Brinks truck. And while they're shooting and Van Beber is is uh, hanging off the side of that building, that parking garage, the landlord showed up. And basically was like, oh. you need to get the fuck off my building. Holy shit. And Van Beber was arguing with him about it. And he was like, hey, man, can you just give us like an hour? <laughs> and so he was able to negotiate with the landlord. And then the landlord comes back and they're still shooting and he's threatening them again. And he they apologize and they say, OK, we're going to get the fuck out of here. And then they the landlord leaves and then Van Beber says, all right, let's do it again. So, Oh my God. The landlord kept coming back and he kept somehow repelling him away to, you know, finish the shot. So yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, let's see what else. Oh yeah. So you talked about Billy Jack. Well, the reason why you got that vibe was because born losers, the first Billy Jack movie was a direct influence on the making of this. Wow. Wow. I love to see Tom Laughlin uh, coming around as an influence here. That's, that's really cool. I did not I know like, that. Yeah. This, uh, that's one of those uh, things where I think we've talked about before, where there is the, the secret Billy Jack fucking influence. That's per it's, it's DNA has sprung throughout all of these movies. It, 
making it such, you know, an important film because yeah, I think Billy Jack, Billy Jack as a movie is almost more important culturally as an influencer than it is as a standalone movie or series. Absolutely. That's yeah. Very interesting that the number of young filmmakers that walked away from it and were like, I'm going to make my own shit because of Billy Jack is fucking mind blowing. But that's awesome. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, so during that whole sequence where Goose is just hallucinating, he's out of his he's out of his mind, fucked up in the alley where he like jacks the fucking booze from the homeless guy. And then he's just hanging out with that wino you remember that whole sequence <laughs> yeah yeah i love that sequence <laughs> so that dude that's playing the wino was the janitor for wright state university and van bever paid him in porno mags to be in that movie to be in that scene <laughs> that all checks out and that's one of the funniest scenes because he's going to kill himself and his reaction just keeps he just keeps being like, all right. Like he's like <laughs> he's like cool with it. He's like uh, he's like kind of wary that he might get killed. But then when the gun turns on on Goose, he's like, OK, all right. I'm I'm cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fucking hilarious scene. Um, OK. And then so this kind of goes into the, a, a litany of the potential uh fatalities that van beber almost incurred for, while making this so he almost died of hypothermia when jumping he into was, the reservoir into the reservoir so he almost died if he would have not made it already then he almost died of hypothermia <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> so there's that uh during the whole in fight sequence where he is hanging from the car and Danny is running him up against the wall. Yeah, yeah. That really was happening. So what happened was um, they did a couple takes, and each time, like two or three takes, basically, each time Van Bever was like, you're not, you're not getting close enough. You're not doing it right. And the dude that plays Danny, I can't remember the actor's name. He was only in this movie. Um, He's like, man, I don't know. Like, I'm going to kill this guy if I get any closer. Paul Harper, like, by the way. Paul Harper, thank you. But like Van Bever is like, just go for it. And that's what happens. He legit fucking runs him into the wall. And then there's like a piece of metal that's hanging off the side of the wall. And he clips him with that. <laughs> Dude, so he, he's got a fucking death wish. That's crazy. So, yeah, like I said, like all that shit basically was real. And then so this is my last thing. This is so amazing. Van Bever dropped acid before the, the fight scenes to get himself psyched <laughs> just up. To, just to really throw another fucking wrench into what the, the fuck? Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, oh, uh, there's one more thing, too. So apparently Van Bever was a big Trump guy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. He's, what happened? He's big, big Trump man. <sighs> God, that's... It that doesn't surprise me, man. It doesn't surprise me, man. It's like it's just like it's the same story with a lot of these old punk rock dudes that like end up being like libertarians or something. Yeah, like it's Johnny a, Ramone being a fucking Republican. Yeah, I, yeah, I, whatever. It's, it's just a fucking thing that happens where somehow, like along the way, they equated this, you know, this shit that was happening with Trump and libertarianism with being like genuinely free and independent and like that yeah they got in, bamboozled yeah yeah in their brains that like the wires get crossed where like they come from this origin of 
wanting to be punk rock and fucking individuals and fuck the system. And they somehow are like, oh, this is my dude because he's like he's an outsider and, you know, all that shit. So anyways, uh, yeah. That's so really they, disheartening, and uh, I don't know how we make it out of the end of this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that I let you down like that after all of this, but I don't oh, know if man. he still is. But you know, as far as I know, he was he was he was a big Trump guy. So, anyways, okay. well, Jesus Christ. Well, there you go. There is Deadbeat at Dawn. So now, now that we've talked about it, we've seen it. What do you rate this movie? Well, first off. We're going to develop our little iconography for it. I've got one. I don't know if you've got one, but I got thought- a really shitty one. OK, what's yours? Kaleidoscope transitions. <laughs> OK, nice. Uh, mine is uh, out of five dead girlfriends in a trash compactor. <laughs> oh, I like that. I, I like uh, bloody, bloody trash compactors. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, out of five kaleidoscopic psychedelic dead girlfriends in a trash compactor <laughs> what did you rate this pat i gave this a uh, a four out of five i liked it a lot it a, you gave it a four out of five i gave it a five out of five i love this movie i could tell <laughs> <laughs> i got no such one, a bone no one's I, shocked i got such a boner for this movie uh so anyways you're so such you a bone crusher for this movie i got a bone crusher bone boner bone crusher <laughs> this this movie was really crushing my boner but in a good way like <laughs> in, in a like good a, way in a dominatrix sort of yes. I, I want yeah, this way yeah, yeah. okay in a consenting way <laughs> so pat come on give it to me what are we watching next time this is going to be a lot of firsts uh hell yeah for a lot of reasons uh one of my favorite directors one of my favorite comedies oh Uh, comedy it's our first animated movie uh right we're gonna do uh beavis and butthead do america (laughs) dude it's funny that you mentioned that because i think i kind of thought about that myself i was like you know what this would actually be kind of cool to do it is a fucking midnight flick if there ever was one. I just I remember watching it on on MTV like reruns late at night. They would just always fucking show it in VH1 and shit just like yeah. over and over and over and over again. It in Beavis and Butthead itself is is like the midnight flicks of TV uh yeah. in a, in a lot of ways. Just like had to air after a certain time was bombasted by fucking Awful moms all across the world. Completely (laughs) irreverent. Yeah, completely irreverent. So I thought we would do a Mike Judge vehicle. And so uh, since a lot of his don't really fit the purview of what we do, I think Beavis and Butthead actually does. So, yeah, that's great. And I think maybe I had that thought because, you know, we were talking off the mic about uh, Office Space and how much I love Office Space. Yes. And I had this idea to do Beavis and Butthead do America for a while since season one. But we haven't gotten around to it since... Uh, talking about it. So I'm glad we're finally doing it because I fucking, I really do it. love that movie. And very few TV shows that uh, end up getting a, a major motion picture actually pull it off and they pull it off and it is fucking awesome. It's so no, that, funny. That's true. Yeah. There's one thing that I'm, I'm, I've been consistently disappointed by, especially when it comes to good animated irreverent comedy series where they get made into movies and it just never works. So this is one of those examples where, it's actually a legit pretty fun movie so i like that great so next time 
That's what's happening. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is brought to you by Denial of Life, D-O-L, or another uh, West Coast band, Tacoma-based band. And they've got a new 7-inch, I think, dropping here soon, if it hasn't already. Uh, If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For co-host Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker, and (laughs) we'll see you next time.